Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Get your big butt back inside. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan. (laughs) Today we are discussing, if you couldn't already tell from that opening line, Men in Black, a very, very popular film that is getting its fourth installment this summer, Men in Black International, which appears to not have any of the returning cast members. Maybe they'll be in a cameo. I don't know. We'll see. But we are taking a break from M. Night Shyamalan. We, last week, we reviewed The Village. That review is out now for you to listen to, and you definitely have time to catch up on Shyamalan. We're about halfway through his film, so we still have, I think, another six or seven to yep. go through, and I've been doing all the info and background on those. Once we come back to those films, Alan will switch over and take care of those. Thankfully, that's a long series to do the background and info for yeah. all like 14 of them. He has one film coming up, Devil, which we won't be like reviewing here on the channel, but I'm oh, going to yes. be doing the written review just like I did the written review for Stuart Little because it kind of doesn't count, but it sort of does count so right. look for that written review of course that'll be in the link in the description and if you don't already follow me on letterboxd so you can read all of my thoughts on all the movies i see throughout the week and you can just know what i'm watching then go ahead to letterboxd and follow me on there it's pretty easy to find me it's just just my name just type in corbin or something follow look, look through the twitter it's pretty easy to find me and if you're wondering, hey, why does Corbin sound like he, you know, drank a bunch of swamp water? And it's he because he did. It's because I did. Alan dared me. I did to to drink swamp water, and this is what happens, kids. So stay in school and don't drink swamp water. Just kidding. Well, no, I'm not kidding. You should stay in school. Um, you probably bit- shouldn't drink swamp water either. You probably shouldn't. I don't want to be liable for that. So, disclaimer, don't drink swamp water. Anyways, where where we live, it has been raining like like nobody's business. Like Noah's Ark is coming back. I've always had lots of allergy issues. Um, so when I do mow the lawn, I I make sure to mow it with a mask because otherwise it'll get like really get to me and just give me a headache throughout the day. And I thought, oh, great. After all this rain, I definitely better wear a mask. So I did. And, uh, yeah, I still got sick. It was ineffective. It was ineffective. So, but yeah, like I said, we are discussing men in black. I am new ish, new light to this series. Alan, are you brand new to this? I'm brand new to the next two, or I guess oh. next technically three. Yeah. Uh, I have seen, I guess, mm, a good chunk of this one. Not all the way really? through, but I think I saw uh, roughly about 30 minutes of this one. I was at my aunt's house, and it was on TV. And so my uncle and I and my three cousins were kind of just watching it because it was like playing, you know, uh, one of the TV channels. So. I have seen about half of this, but I wasn't really paying too much attention at that point. So for this, I had to. So yeah, about about a good 30, maybe 45 minutes of this I had seen. And it's mostly the beginning and then a small chunk in the middle. But other than that, I'm pretty much new to everything else. Yeah, I'm like I said, I'm new-ish. It was late January of this year. I don't remember how we got 
my girlfriend and I, we were going through like movie series, like we were going through particular series from our past. Most specifically, we went through all of the Twilight films and ranked all of those. That was interesting. <laughs> um, and she she had seen Men in Black before, at least the first one. And I said, yeah, I've never seen Men in Black. It's one of those movies that everybody has seen except me. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, like both of us, saving- which is kind of funny, I think. Yeah, that is funny. But yeah, so we did watch all three of the Men in Black movies late January through February. So I've technically seen all of these movies before, but just within the past few months. So I'm still kind of new to it, but it's about time. Honestly, it's about time we watch these movies because everybody's seen them except us. And it's kind of embarrassing. And from what I've un- well, from what I understand to this, especially this first one, seems to be very beloved by many a folk. Oh yes, and I I, I hear so much about it, and I I know I've seen clips from it even like on YouTube because I know I've seen I know I've, I know for a fact that I've also seen the very ending shot, which I know is pretty famous. I, if I'm not mistaken, do you remember like one Sunday morning when we were in Sunday school, and I'm pretty sure uh, Forest showed us the ending clip of this that's where i saw that or maybe it wasn't in sunday school maybe it had something to do with with the youth group that we went to where i don't know somehow we saw the ending clip that's where i I did see the ending clip there that may be what i'm thinking of then but i i don't know i do i do remember when i when the movie ended and i saw that last scene i was like ah, i've seen this somewhere before that may have been it um but i can't remember i was thinking i saw it on some youtube video somewhere I have no idea what this ending would have to do with church um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and theology, but okay. I'm I'm telling you, that's where we saw it, but yeah. who knows? Um, the one thing interesting I did notice is this is Amblin Entertainment, which is yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg's company. Yeah, Steven Spielberg, I believe, was one of the producers here ah. uh, for this movie. So, yeah, I, is Amblin Entertainment still a thing? I think so. I'm trying to remember I if think... I saw their logo recently because I know if we, yeah. we see it a lot on a lot of yeah. like 80s to 90s stuff because of, you know, ET logo. I'm trying to remember if I've seen it on anything else recently that, has, that Spielberg is attached to. You know, I'm pretty sure that it is. I can look really quick, but yeah. um, I think I they've kind of updated the, the ET logo. Usually they have the, it's like, you know, the ET thing going on. Right. So yes, Amblin Entertainment is still very much a thing. They have okay. they're doing the new Men in Black. They did Captive State, First Man. Oh, okay. First Man. Um Ready Player One, The Post, Weird. uh The House with the Clock in Its Walls. They're doing a new movie that is I think is going to be really good about uh the Vatican like kidnapping this boy. True story. Look it up. Um so yeah, they've they do a lot of stuff, and a lot of stuff I didn't necessarily realize they did, like Transformers. And hmm. I wonder, I wonder if the reason why I don't know if they're still alive is because maybe there's a change in the logo, and I always associate Amblin Entertainment with that ET logo. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. that's the reason why I'm not. I just haven't seen them. I think so. I think they are for particular movies. They're not placing in their kind of splash screen logo. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, the director of this movie 
was it's kind of funny because the guy that they wanted to get direct to be the director was Barry Sonnenfeld, and he originally was going to direct it, and then he wasn't going to direct it because he got caught. He got uh, into a get shorty, and then oh, Men yeah. in Black was delayed, so he came back as director. And in between those two times, they got another guy, not Les Mayfield, because they heard pretty good things. Because uh, I think he did. No, yeah, they heard pretty good things about the Miracle on 34th Street remake. And then they saw it, and they said, uh, I don't know so much about him anymore. And then they ended up getting uh, Barry Sonnenfeld back. Mm. But it is, I thought it was actually kind of funny that they, because they had heard good things about the Miracle on 34th Street remake that this other guy had done. And I think it's just kind of funny that that's all. They're like, uh, no. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Um I I had seen the beginning of Get Shorty. That's like the only other Barry Sonnefeld thing that I've seen that I I know of. He did yeah. do um he he will come back and do um the next two movies. Okay. So um well he's also done RV which I've seen. Alan he did Nine Lives where Kevin Spacey turns into a cat. Wait, he did that one? Mhm. Yes. Oh no. I've seen that. Yeah, oh, it hurt. That that was actually one I couldn't make it through. Believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I did end up finishing it, but five minutes from the end, I walked out and I was like, "Nope, not anymore." He is also the cinematographer for Misery. Hmm. Um. He also is a cinematographer for Big, When Harry Met Sally, Raising Arizona, Throw Mama from a Train. And he produced Enchanted, uh, a series of unfortunate events, the movie Space Chimps, and the uh, Coen Brothers movie The Lady Killers. So, hmm. kind of a interesting resume here. Yeah. Not he's all, all over the place. place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Because, like, I know, I, I, I've heard the name before, Barry Sonnenfeld, and I guess he's also done Adam's Family and yeah. the sequel. Mm-hmm. That was pertaining to that, and that was kind of what got their eye on this guy because they liked, I guess, his comedy style. Hmm. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Will Smith is a pretty comedic person. Oh yeah. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air was a very popular show preceding this movie. I think Will Smith had transitioned more so to film at this point. I never watched Fresh, right. Fresh Prince. You know, it was on in passing. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is not known for comedy, um, so it's kind of a odd pairing. We've got an odd couple going on here between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Well, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is – I think now he's more associated with uh, more comedic pictures than what he was. I guess maybe the one – and I'm just kind of – this is kind of just a guess. I'm guessing maybe the one that maybe that kind of is like, oh, maybe he has some comedic potential would have been uh, The Fugitive. Because he is kind of, he does have some pretty funny lines in that one, aside from it being a rather serious movie. But yeah, the, I think there's yeah. like some kind of funny lines that he does come across right. as. But yeah, they're probably trying to go for like just like different, like generational, like a generational uh, gap with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, like old school, right. new school. You know, one's. 
more street smart ones more by the book and straight laced so i mean I, I, it's a really weird pairing but mm-hmm. i think it works for this movie yeah yeah okay so in there were the original ending of this movie and this is not really spoilers Uh-oh. but the original ending of this movie was gonna have uh the main bad guy and will smith or agent J mm-hmm. kind of have this existential debate and then they filmed it, I, I think. And then uh, director Sonnenfeld was just like, nah, that's too boring. Let's change it. And so this and a few other things were kind of changed pretty quickly and at towards the last minute. So the ending that we ended up getting uh, costs the studio $4.5 million extra to do, which with a billion of $90 million, uh, it's still a pretty good chunk of cash. There are also, I guess, other five other endings that they were thinking about doing, and then uh, which one of them uh, ends with the love interest being neuralized. But I, I tried looking up what those other five endings would have been, but I couldn't find them anywhere. Oh. But yeah, we ended up setting on the one that cost them, I guess, $4.5 million to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty penny, but if yeah. I'm not mistaken, this movie did just gangbusters at the box office yes it did very very well because it had a budget of 90 million Mm -hmm. and then in the u.s alone it got 250.7 million yeah and then with the foreign box office 338.7 million with a worldwide box office total of 50 589.4 million yeah, so, good cash. So over this movie alone grossed over half a billion dollars. Yeah, which is very very impressive. In fact, opening weekend it almost reached its budget limit, uh, which is fifty one million. It got opening weekend, so I mean it came pretty close to their ninety million. Um, I mean didn't pass it, but still, it's still really good money for a movie that is relatively original. I mean it has it's based off of off of a Marvel comic. Oh yeah, but right. it's not something that has any like, establishing property behind it. Even the director, um, who has done, definitely done movies before, but not something like Steven Spielberg. So I wonder if it's the name Steven Spielberg that kind of helped, fu- that helped the public look into it. Because he is a producer. Yeah, that and name recognition with Will Smith. And also, right. this is three right. three years after Tommy Lee Jones won the Oscar for The Fugitive. So... Right. It's kind of the perfect storm here of what they were doing. And it's a it was a Sony movie also. And they really did choose the right opening weekend. They chose the July 4th opening weekend right. where, you know, Independence Day, everybody's celebrating. Um, and, like, nothing else really was opening that weekend. Out to Sea came in 6th, Wild America in ninth, and Guantanamera. That didn't even register. It grossed, like, $8,000, so... Right. Um, the top five people had already seen all of these these movies for a few weeks. Um, Face Off with Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Hercules. I don't know. Is that the cartoon? I don't know. My Best Friend's yeah, Wedding, which is a pretty good movie. Uh, Julia Roberts and Dermot Mulroney. I recommend it. And Batman and Robin was number five, which was not good. So. I mean, we all know about that one. We all, we don't speak of that one. Right. Yeah, this was number one for, I think, three weeks. And then 
Week four is when it dropped to, I believe, third place, and that was when Air Force One opened. Ah, uh, so, of course. Yeah. I mean, it still had a pretty good run. I think it stayed in third and fourth for a couple more weeks and then ended up dropping down after that. But yeah, still had a very, once again, still a very good theatrical run regardless. Yes, and uh, it looks like if you adjust for inflation even, this is the highest grossing of the three films. That honestly wouldn't surprise me though. Cuz mm-hmm. when I when you hear the when you hear the words men in black, people usually revert to this one. Um I hear the next two are critically not as great or not as well received as this one is. But right. Yeah. Uh for audiences, I they didn't like it as much as I expected they would. The cinema score wasn't where I thought it would be. Yeah. A B plus, which I mean, it's still good, but much lower than I would expect. I would have expected with this movie. Yeah, I was expecting at least an A, honestly, for this first film. Mm-hmm. But no, B plus. Audiences were like, yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Um. So that does surprise me. And the IMDb score is much higher, and I'll talk about that. I'll talk about why I think that. Yeah. Now I did look at the Rotten Tomato score. And it's a ninety-two percent, but that is also the critic score. Oh, what is the? Uh, I got right here. The audience score though is about seventy-nine percent, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, a bit lower than I would have expected, but not, I guess, terribly low. No, that does no. kind of connect with the uh, the cinema score. Yeah, well, the IMDb score is seven point three, which is yeah. I would say that's that's pretty good for IMDb. That's fairly high. Not um not a lot of movies come there. Most right. movies are in the sixes. So, uh, yeah, seven point three is a lot better than I would have expected. I guess. And I, the reason I think that is is because I think this movie has just gained a nostalgic following, yeah. where it's just Men in Black. Oh yeah, of course. You know, I loved that movie when it came out and. I love it now, and so I think I think it's more of a nostalgia thing. I know on Letterboxd, most users gave it an eight out of ten. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's I think it's the nostalgia factor. Yeah, honestly, I think the seven point three is a bit low for how highly regarded this movie is to me. I mean, not terribly low. This is it's kind of in that middle ground where it's not terribly low, but also not terribly high. So. I mean, it's once again, it's not a bad score, and uh, it is lower both cinema score I'm in IMDb and the and the user score from uh, Rotten Tomatoes. They all seem lower, I guess, than what I was expecting. This might surprise you, listeners. Men in Black earned three Oscar nominations, including one win. So this is an Oscar-winning yeah. film. Yeah, best makeup for the Oscar win, which is, I mean, sure, I guess. Sure. I believe it was done by Rick Baker, who is fairly uh, famous. Let me look here real quick. I guess when they say best makeup, I wonder if they're also talking about prosthetics and animatronics, maybe? Because Rick Baker is the guy who did those two things. Um, So I wonder if that's what ties into best makeup, perhaps? Because it does seem a bit odd to me for this movie to win best makeup. Okay, maybe he's not as famous as I thought. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, Rick Baker did, you know, 
Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. He did the remake of King mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, he did Michael Jackson's Thriller, I think. He apparently worked on the Disney movie Maleficent, which the trailer just dropped for the hmm. for the new one. Right, I, I don't. That. I don't know. Okay, never mind, listeners. I thought I thought I had something here, but mm-hmm. never mind. Okay, moving on. But the other other two Oscars that were nominations for this movie were Best Art Direction and Best Original Score or Comedy Score for Danny Elfman. What? Oh, Danny Elfman did this. Cool. Yeah, which I mean, I guess we'll I guess we'll kind of briefly mention the score a bit later, but that seems like an interesting choice to me. I want. Hmm. I wonder if original musical or comedy was uh, a different category than just regular best score in 1998. I'm going to look that up once Vanity Fair leaves me alone. Yeah, okay, here it is. So, at, at least the 1998 Oscars, and I'm guessing there were a couple years also with this, there were two sections for or, best original score. There was, be- there was original dramatic score and original musical or comedy score, and then also original song, but that doesn't really count. Okay, listeners, if you haven't seen Men in Black, and you don't want it spoiled for you, I recommend that you go rent the movie, and then come back here and click play, because you want to know what we're talking about here. You want to you be in the know, just like with me and Alan. We want to be a part of the cultural zeitgeist and say that we have watched Men in Black. So go ahead and say that you've watched Men in Black. Come back here and click play, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Since 1961, when aliens were discovered on Earth, they have started to live among the people in secret, disguised as humans. After we follow a dragonfly through the sandy desert, we follow a caravan of people headed across the border, but an alien is in their midst. In their midst. Two agents from the Men in Black secret agency pull aside a man who looks to be like a human, but turns out is an alien. Tommy Lee Jones shoots him after the alien tries to attack an officer at the scene, forcing Jones, called Agent K, to neuralize the police force, which wipes their memory of recent events. It is revealed that K's partner is retiring soon, thus K sets off to find a replacement. Meanwhile, NYPD officer James Darrow Edwards III, also later known as Agent J, is chasing down a suspect who has incredible agility and is able to scale buildings with ease. After nearly stopping the man, Jay watches him fall to his death atop a museum roof. Agent K sees this and is impressed, later approaching Jay for a position at MIB, or the Men in Black Secret Agency. Jay accepts this as is taken under K's wing. Jay's identity is eradicated as if he never existed, or as if he doesn't exist and never did. A while later, an alien we will later know as Bug crash lands on his small farm, crushing a man's truck. When he goes to investigate, Bug kills him and uses his skin as a disguise. Bug's mission is to find the galaxy. Agent K and J see an article of a double homicide in a restaurant caused by Bug. The agents head to the morgue and inside one of the aliens that was killed is a smaller alien who runs him like a robot. With his dying breaths, he says, to prevent war, the galaxy is on Orion's belt. Come to find out, this small alien was a part of the Archelian royal family and his death may spark a war between Earth and the Archelians. J and K get a tip off from an alien disguised as a pug that the galaxy is an energy source and that it hangs off of a cat's collar and the same cat that's in the morgue that came with one of the murders earlier. But before J and K can get their hands on it, Bug captures both the galaxy and the coroner, Laurel, who has become a love interest at this point to Agent J. At the same time, the Achilleans fire a warning shot and demand the galaxy in one hour, or in their, in their case, I think it's like one standard galaxy week. 
uh, or the Earth will be destroyed. J and K chase Bug and shoot him down after he tries to take off. However, in return, Bug swallows J and K's guns, and Agent J sacrifices himself to be swallowed whole by Bug to get his weapon back. J kills Bug from within, saving the day and retrieving the galaxy. Come to find out, K was trying to find a replacement the whole time and requests J to neuralize him so that he can ne- so that he will never remember what happened with his time at MIB and rejoin his old life back with his wife. J gains a new partner, Coroner Laurel, and they go to police alien crime together as credits roll. So the opening here I thought was kind of funny. We literally have illegal aliens. Yeah. So it's still uh, apparently a hot topic uh, 22 years later um, with illegal aliens crossing the border. And they're saying some of those are actually real aliens. And um, I thought it was I thought it was funny enough. Um, I think Tommy Lee Jones immediately stands himself out here as a funny character is he's going to still be kind of like straight laced, but comedic. Yeah, and this yeah, this opening is kind of funny too because we follow this dragonfly for a oh. long time now. To be fair, it's also playing with credits, but it, you don't really know where this is headed. And then the dragonfly squats on, or uh, a dragonfly is crushed on a, on the windshield of this truck that's that's transporting a bunch of these people to a, across the border. And so we know uh, before we're going in, it would be reasonable to assume that the audience knows that this is a movie about aliens. But I guess they would have been thrown off by the uh, the aliens in terms of actual people that are being shown here in this opening, which is I, I do think is kind of interesting because it is it is a topic that the movie kind of addresses here and there as one of its major themes. Um, but it is it it just kind of catch me off guard that we're starting here uh, with people trying to get across the border and become I guess. Uh, illegal aliens in the Americas, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, and and instead, we, we do end up finding an actual alien in that's disguised as a human here. But this opening did kind of catch me off guard a little bit, just, I guess, kind of given the circumstances. Yeah, and, okay, some of, the, like, the practical, like, animatronic effects I don't think look bad at all. I think they look pretty good, actually. Yeah. But when we switch over to full CGI creations, those are very dated quite ugly early 2000 inventions yeah especially the final fight that we have that's where it's really apparent how much age has kind of i guess come against this movie Mm -hmm. because the final fight with bug and really kind of this opening too but it's not nearly as bad and that may be due to the, the darker lighting um you can tell when uh there's cg being used it's really not very hard to distinguish when that is. And that's kind of something that I guess just once again comes with age with this movie because it was made in 1997 and this would this would have been about the time that every single blockbuster had some kind of CG in it. Um so yeah, the effects here animatronics are good, but the uh, CG effects have definitely dated from 1997. I do find it a little odd that and I understand they're doing it to move the story along extremely quickly. But Kay neuralizes his old partner right then and there. And right. you would think they'd have to go through some like paperwork or or some up higher up decision. <laughs> um, not just like, okay, right. well, you, you, you messed up tonight, so you're done. 
Um, I guess maybe what they're trying to do is probably draw a parallel to the end of the movie where Jay yeah. has to just neuralize K right there and he has to find a partner like the next day it seems like so events in this movie move along very fast yeah and i mean that's to be expected it is a mm-hmm. comedy so yeah things do move on pretty quick but yeah i mean i guess it's a little bit i mean i understand the foreshadowing element here at the beginning where he has to neuralize his partner but i think his partner only gets like three lines in this yeah. opening so it's not like there was any kind of emotional attachment to him. Anyways, maybe there really wasn't supposed to be in yeah. the beginning. So I, I was surprised because I always knew that from the posters and trailers, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith were partners. But then to see here in the opening that Tommy Lee Jones is partners with this older man, uh, that did surprise mm-hmm. me. Um, but then quickly we realized that Will Smith will be recruited, brought into the system and then from there on right. out, they'll be partners. But then I'm ugh, I'm even more surprised because then at the end, Tommy Lee Jones is like, hey, I'm done. And he gets neuralized. Right. And then Will Smith has a new partner at the end. And so that really does cause me to question because I've seen trailers and posters for two and three. And I know Tommy is back. It's just, it's right. just a weird move, it seems like, to make these two partners and then end their partnership at the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, with at least the foreknowledge that he will return in the next two, I would say, yeah, it is a bit weird uh, seeing that he's been neuralized here at the very end. So I I do wonder how they're going to handle that in the next movies, knowing that he is part of the cast there. Is this, Do we know if Laurel comes back? Because I don't remember seeing her in the posters. She never comes back. It's okay. kind of weird. I mean, I guess I'm not too surprised by that. But, yeah, that is I, – I wonder what these next moves are going to be like now that I think about it. Yeah, I was expecting her to come back for the next film. I'm going to have to really pay close attention to see because I think she is a dropped line. Um, she's barely addressed um, by okay. she's not there with him. So it's kind of weird to set her up like she's going to be a major player in the sequel. Come to find out she's quickly thrown away. Right, right. right, Um, So we first meet Will Smith, and I'm guessing he was an undercover cop because it looks like he's got jail garb on when he's running, chasing this man. Is that reasonable to assume? Uh, Yeah, he is an undercover cop. I I can't ever understand what he's wearing here in the beginning. It looks like a plain jersey. It does look like some kind of jail jumpsuit. I don't know what he's wearing, but yeah, he's definitely undercover chasing this... Seems, yeah. I mean, I I asked this because later on he's wearing this striped shirt that also has striped pants. Uh, so I'm just wondering if that was maybe part of his attire being undercover or if he was in jail. I mean, I kind of assumed he was in jail, I, but. I think it's just his street clothes, his undercover clothes. This is just how okay. he dresses in the late 90s. That's my guess. Right. But we find out here, and we also it's also kind of reinforced a bit later, that he has pretty good skill at chasing yeah. down suspects. Um, even though the guy who's the suspect he was trying to chase, chase down is like s- climbing buildings, which is pretty apparent that they're using ropes. <laughs> but uh, climbing buildings pretty quick, 
this catches the eye of Agent K. And we kind of get this odd scene where he goes through, I guess, quote-unquote training. Um, which part of me kind of feels like it's a, more of a waste of time just for comedic uh, a potential. Because three minutes in training, they stop it all and he's chosen to be his partner. But, I mean, whatever, I guess. Yeah, when he is chasing that guy, I feel like we're in the first X-Men movie. And I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. The first X-Men movie wouldn't come out for another three years. So I think they probably... Yeah, yeah that came out really yeah, early Yeah, I think they got some ideas here for what could a superhero, like, mutant-type alienish movie be like. And it seems like Men in Black laid some of the groundwork with that, at least for when he's chasing this guy. Um, we also mm-hmm. are introduced to our villain, who is... I guess he's actually a giant bug, but he uses the skin of Vincent D'Onofrio, who many of you may know more recently from the Daredevil TV series, but he's also um, the psycho in Full Metal Jacket. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, this this is one of the more funnier scenes to me because it's a man just screaming at his wife. For basically nothing. Right. Um, and then, I mean, of course, he, he pretty much dies here in a couple of seconds. But, yeah, th- th- there's a few scenes in here where I'm just like, oh, that's kind of funny. Uh, this is one of those scenes where it, it got me a little bit because it, it's just kind of a surreal moment surreal moment to cut to. Um, but it's still very funny. Yeah, I think my favorite line in the whole movie right here is, get your big butt back inside. my girlfriend and i had so much fun with that line and making fun of it it's incredibly Uh cheesy um but also yeah he's saying you know my pickup is the only one that pulls its weight around here and then the thing destroys his pickup Mm -hmm. and he's like figures then he's like you're gonna have to pry the gun from my dead cold hands and he's like that can be arranged so this this is a pretty good introduction scene and also i would say his makeup is incredible honestly i think this is um probably the best makeup in the whole movie like his skin is too bulgy in certain places but it's stretched in yeah. certain areas it's too loose it's, it's a very creepy look yeah it, it definitely makes him look like you I mean the skin really doesn't fit and that the guy's just a bit too big for it uh it is it that is kind of funny to see him kind of also struggling all throughout the whole movie pretty much of him just kind of get the skin in the right place and and whatnot. Yeah, it is it is pretty funny uh to see this alien struggle. And we don't really ever see what Bug looks like until the very end. We only get actually I don't think we see much at all. We kind of see the tail at one point, but that's really about it. Aside from the ending, we never really get to see what Bug really looks like. Is it just me, or does Tommy Lee's head look too big for his body? Like, did you think about that Perhaps. at all? Like, his, his like... Not really, well, actually, <laughs> but now that you bring it up, I can see it. His shoulders look, like, he's got pretty, like, narrow-looking shoulders, but he doesn't look this way in The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he had lost weight, but his just head and neck look too large for his body in certain scenes. It just it threw me off. I don't know if I guess I'm the only one who noticed it. I don't know. I don't know. I can't say it was anything that I was thinking about right. when I was watching this. Okay, so I think we've got some unnecessary confusion going on here in the story. We've got some redundancies, which I found to just be kind of annoying. 
So for some reason, K exposes the alien side of life to J, but then he wipes his memory and then asks him to see him the next day and gives him a card that says Mike. And to me, it's just making it overly complicated just to have him come to training the next day. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Why on earth flash him? And my initial thought was, okay, maybe it's because he doesn't want to tell anybody. But that also comes with another problem. I think Agent J is severely underdeveloped here because we never get like... Any backstory. We never get anything that... Yeah, any backstory. There's basically nothing that at least that's told to us in terms of any backstory. No love interest, no family, pretty much nothing. He comes in as a blank slate and almost leaves as a blank slate. He there. I mean, there's not to say there's no development with him. There's a little bit, but throughout the whole movie, he's kind of just like he doesn't have much to him, which I found to be honestly a little bit disappointing yeah and they go through this whole big scene of he he realizes that if he joins the men in black he's going to be erased essentially from from the known world and we get this long scene of him sitting there on a park bench until sundown contemplating it all and then ultimately he does make the decision i don't know why it's so difficult for him because he apparently has nothing tying him to this world no family no friends, right. no wife or girlfriend. Now, as for Kay, we know that he does, there is this woman that he loves and he kind of like looks looks upon her from time to time. So there's something to him. Right. But yeah, these characters are, there's not much to them at all. It, it, right. And I mean, I can kind of get behind Agent K, you know, kind of wanting to rejoin his wife and stuff. I can understand that. I can get behind that. Um, I mean, it's it's not very deep, but for this kind of a movie, it, it makes sense why they wouldn't pry too far. But Agent J, who is our main character, it just seems like an odd choice to give him no backstory, no connection to this world, pretty much. And maybe there is something there. They just don't talk about it. They... They never say he has nothing. They never say that he has a girlfriend or anything. They just don't even mention it, which is why it makes me wonder, well, what kind of connection does he have aside from his job as a undercover police officer? Yeah, they don't they don't go much into it. Uh, we do get a Casa, Casablanca dropped line here. Yeah, um, we do. He, they're talking about the history of Men in Black in the 50s and 60s and like refugees and like fleeing from he's like yeah did you see casablanca he's like yeah it's like that but without the nazis um so i thought that was funny we also are introduced to these like weird little space worms that are jabbering on in some language and they're like make a mess of everything they love cigarettes and coffee and yeah they're honestly probably the funniest part of this whole series and i do know that these characters also become pretty famous oh yeah as well because they are just kind of silly yeah these characters i it was just kind of funny because they're all messing around and stuff and then when agent k comes in they're like hi agent k to him agent and they k. they act more out of respect to this man when they were like just messing around a second ago it is, it is pretty funny these these few guys and then later on you see him walking away when they think that the world is going to end with a bunch with two full stacks of marlboro uh, cigarettes and all kinds of stuff. It's it's funny. They're really they're really funny, and they're all animatronic too. Oh, wow. I, I think um, they might be CG in this next part, but I couldn't tell. 
I do know they come back at least for the next movie. Probably for the rest of the movies they'll come back because I think they quickly became people's favorites. Yeah, I believe you're correct. From what I've seen, they do return. Now we do get... Also, we do meet the coroner, which also is just kind of... uh, I mean, I understand it's like kind of funny, but she learns about the aliens, gets her memory wiped, learns about the aliens, gets her memory wiped. Learns about the aliens, you know. So we we do have this redundancy right. where it's like she can't help but keep getting sucked into the plot because certain events mm-hmm. keep happening, and so she learns about it, but her memory keeps getting wet. It's kind of funny. It it kind of works, and then ultimately they're like, "Hey, let's just bring her in on this." She seems to accept it all right, and uh, she she could work. So, but she does get a lot of redundancy going on here. Yeah, it, there is a kind of a funny line that Will Smith says where he's just like. Um, wouldn't flashing someone's memory cause some long-term damage? He goes, well, I don't know. So far, it hasn't done anything. Um, it is kind of a funny line that they have here because, it, I mean, I would be curious about that kind of a thing where if uh, if you're flashing someone's memory and erasing things so often, uh, would that have any long-term effects? Now, I wouldn't have expected this movie to dive that deep into this kind of an issue or this kind of a question. But it is a funny thing to bring up here in this moment. But... Once again, kind of like with Agent J, uh, their char- her character is not really developed, which, I mean, isn't that big of a deal, but their relationship also isn't really developed hardly at all either. And it never will be, so... Yeah, and then, as, as we just talked about, she doesn't return, if so... If you're hoping for more... <laughs> and, you know, I think she is a completely fine character. I yeah. do like kind of the banter between her and Will Smith... And, you know, she has an appealing quality to her, but doesn't, just like with everything, nothing really goes beyond the surface here with this story. Mm-hmm. And they find out there is, uh, like a little alien guy in this other guy's head. He's kind of like controlling his body. I, I thought that, like the emotion and the life it displayed, that little alien creature, I thought that was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this, I say this is one of the few moments where I think the CG actually kind of works because, I mean, you know it's CG, but I think that the way that they utilize it in the scene makes it feel as not, I guess, blatant as other scenes that we'll see later. But they do kind of, he kind of gives us this this odd cryptic message of the galaxy is on Orion's belt. Which, I mean, I understand now what that means, but why give them such a cryptic message, I wonder? And why belt? Why not just say color? Yeah, I that was one of the questions on IMDb, actually, is why didn't he just tell them? And they pointed out that he was, like, struggling to think of the right words. Like, he might not have known the right words, which seems unbelievable, considering he yeah. had lived on the Earth. Or, I, I don't know. I mean, we don't know. He's an old man, so does his body age like usual? You think he would have learned the proper language. Also, when him and the giant, that giant is from Twin Peaks, by the way, um, when they're talking in the restaurant, do people not know they're speaking a different language? Or they're, they're right. like speaking an alien language out loud in front of everybody, but nobody notices. Right. I mean, I could, I could pass that up to maybe people just don't, just probably think that they're talking in another language that they don't know, not necessarily alien language. But yeah, 
I can't really buy the excuse that uh, the man, that a little alien, couldn't find the right words to say with his dying breath. That that doesn't seem like a very uh, an excuse that has very any really, I guess, hard facts or anything behind it that I can buy. And so why why does he kidnap the coroner? Great question. I'm trying to remember why. Yeah, I don't know. We know why. I don't know either. Uh, he goes there because he wants to find right. the cat because he realizes the cat has it on his collar. And he knows that's where the body was taken and that was the owner of the dead cat. But instead, he settles for the coroner and then he knows where this, yeah, these other spaceships are. So he's going to take her up there with the spaceships right. with him. And they find, <laughs> I don't know, this movie, honestly, at this at this point is when I check out. Uh, on my first viewing, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm watching it. On my second viewing, this is honestly when I check out. And I'm like, honestly, I really don't care. What I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I think this movie kind of began to lose me about the halfway point. It was up until I would say the final yeah. battle that we have here. Where I'm just like sh- I'm honestly struggling to keep with this movie. Not it's not that it, I'm thinking it's bad, but because I'm not finding anything to latch on to. That may be because this movie is pretty surface level for the most part. There, aside from maybe the idea of aliens living among us, and then I mean also how more current events kind of help keep this movie. Uh, alive and that kind of aspect. The problem I have here is Agent J is almost pretty much a blank slate. His relationship with the coroner is very, very surface level. And we don't really pry too deep with a lot of these things. And I think that's unfortunate that even the villain too, his motivation is not really stated. And if it is, it is not anything that seems to be super important because they only mention it maybe once, if that. And then we have the Archelians, which, I mean, they do mention it, but it's everything just kind of feels very surface level and not really explored past maybe the kiddie pool end, the three-foot end of, of the pool when they could have di- di- dove into the eight-foot or 12-foot deep end for big kids. Well, it's also not that funny. I can say that for some scenes. I- there are some scenes where I'm just like, uh Nah, not really. And then there are they. I will, I can't not say that it didn't make me laugh. There are a few scenes where they get a chuckle out of me, but for the most part, yeah, it is not something that I think comedy wise is aged very well either. I just needed to be laughing a lot more for to 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 really be drawn in. This movie has to decide what it wants to be. I it's fine if it's science fiction, but if you're gonna have a character like Will Smith. Will Smith is funny and play off Tommy Lee Jones. It's it's just I don't think it works that well. I don't think it's not that funny. Um, one of you know the scene where Jay shoots the little girl yeah. instead of the monsters, and he's trying uh, to make yes. his case for why he did it. I found that scene to be so stupid and yeah. not funny at all. That's one of the <sighs> scenes where I'm just like, I it, think it just it does go on for too long, and it it goes into the stage of awkwardness because they are trying to be funny with it, but it's also like they keep taking the joke and extending it longer and longer and longer to a point where it isn't funny anymore and it's kind of just awkward. There are a couple of moments like that. That's probably probably the worst one that I can think of, though. 
Yeah, and I think the story banks on hopefully setting itself apart by turning everything on its head. You know, a young black streetwise cop paired with a snooty old man. Trash tabloids are actual Mm -hmm. news of aliens. Life on Earth isn't exactly special, and most of all, our galaxy is contained within a, a marble used to play marbles by aliens. And, you know, for the most part, I think it's all fairly innocent. I don't really find it all that funny. And I did find it interesting, um, kind of this push to, like, decentralize, like, the importance of humanity and Earth, which is interesting because we'll also talk about that in um, Avengers Endgame. How Earth isn't that special anymore. We just found that out all of a sudden. Um, and like the, the galaxy is on within like, it's just, it's all like, it's all part of a game where it's our galaxy, our world is just a game of marbles. It's like kind of a game yeah. of chance in a way. So I, I mean, I do take a bit of issue with that because it could be construed as, um, almost a little anti-god where there's like really no like sovereign creator it's just all this we're we're like these silly little you know ants within a marble within a game it's it's just really weird i don't know what they're trying to go for with they're trying to be a little too clever i think Uh, see i wonder if they're even if they even thought about that kind of a thing just given how the rest of this movie is I'm guessing that they just thought, oh, this would be funny to have an alien play marvels with the actual galaxy that the Earth is inside of, and that there are multiple galaxies just like this. I wonder if maybe they didn't even press press too hard with that, and they were just like, wouldn't this be kind of funny to have a visual at the very end with a couple aliens or maybe just one alien playing marbles with our galaxy, and there are plenty other galaxies a part of this whole thing too. Because I, because like once again, given how deep this movie does go, which is not very deep at all, it wouldn't surprise me that that wasn't even, that wasn't anything that passed the minds of when it was written uh, to have something along those lines being thought of while they're writing this movie. The one thing that I'm really kind of bothered by is it looks like he's really shaking a dog when he shakes yeah. the pug. I'm like, is, yeah, is that a real dog? That looks like a it, real dog. It is kind of funny, the sounds that he makes, but yeah, don't shake your dog like that. Yeah. Uh, the the pug does come back. The pug also becomes another yes, favorite. Yes, I, I do remember series. seeing him in the trailers for the yeah. next few. Well, are we ready for our final recommends? I guess so. I mean, okay. I'm trying to think of what else to talk about. And I mean, they're... Because the other movies that we usually talk about have more deeper thematic... They have deeper themes here, and everything kind of pulls together, and the reasons why they're all there is for serving the plot. Uh, This movie is, no, that's not necessarily what it doesn't have. It's also not very deep with what it talks about. Yeah, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Men in Black? Men in Black, I I can understand why it was funny back in the 90s. And when I watch this movie, I try to put myself back when this movie was released. And I can definitely see where a lot of other movies have taken elements from this movie in particular. Um, I think that the designs of the aliens that we do see are very creative, and I would actually like to see more of this, which I'm sure we'll get in the next few. Um, But I think where this movie falls short is its characters and its thematic depth. We don't go too deep with anything. Like, even our main character, I mentioned earlier, has no backstory. Um, the the coroner 
she begins a relationship with uh, Agent J, and their relationship is literally just skin deep. The only character that has any kind of depth, and even then it's very, very shallow, is Agent K with his wife. But that's pretty much about it. We don't get much of anything else. I like the idea of actual aliens being a part of this world and how that kind of relates to aliens, uh, illegal aliens from other countries kind of coming into America. I like that idea. But once again, they don't really take that any anywhere. It's, it's, it's very, very shallow. So... I mean, it's fun. It's a fun movie. I won't say that. But towards the 45-minute mark, I was trying to keep myself interested. And that's not good when it's a comedy. Speaking of which, the comedy here at times can be very spotty, in my own opinion. So, do I recommend this movie? Uh, It's a very, very mild recommend from me. But I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Men in Black was surely an okayishly fun time back in 97, but today it doesn't hold up. I like the setting, the aliens, and some of the comedy. Also, the villain is grotesque and the team-up of Smith and Jones does work. I like it. But this movie is boring, honestly. This is a one-and-done kind of movie. Watch it once so you can be part of the cultural zeitgeist, but then you don't need to return to it again. I know a majority of people seemingly love this movie, but I'm chalking some of that up to nostalgia. Men in Black receives 6 stars out of 10 with the mildest of recommends. So I'm a little disappointed that Men in Black wasn't better, and this is how I felt in January when we watched them all, and I'm like... Uh, so that's that that's it yeah um you know i they do get better i will say that at least in my own opinion um people but like once again that's debatable people have mixed feelings and think this is as good as it gets some people think no that's not true um i don't know i have seen the critic score as well for the second one and it's uh Uh not looking too pretty at least with the critic score uh-oh, yeah, we will We will get to that next week, listeners. We yes. will be coming back with Men in Black 2, and then the week after that, Men in Black 3. So we are going straight through this one. Um, then we'll go on a bit of a pause until Men in Black International comes out. Uh, we'll be returning to Shyamalan after Men in Black 3. So, listeners, we want to know what you think of Men in Black. Do you love this movie? Are, are we crazy? Are we... Um, are we missing out here? Uh, we want to know what you think. We didn't. I didn't say it was completely bad, so don't think that, listeners. Yeah, don't don't get us wrong. I don't think either of us think it's bad. Yeah, no. And you know what? Like maybe in like a few years, if I'm just wanting something really light and nostalgic and just something kind of like fun and easy, maybe I'll pop this on in the background while I'm doing housework. I don't know. It could happen. Yeah, maybe when we mature, we'll come back to it and think something differently of it. Yeah, yeah, could maybe well, it could happen. Um, listeners, if you do want more reviews in the meantime, since if you're not content with just one review a week, or if you want something new and different, then uh, go ahead and head on over to our Patreon page where you can get bonus podcasts. You can also do Q and A's with us. You can hear our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, and even movie commentary so you can pop on the movie and we will it's like we're watching the movie right there with you as we give you our thoughts on everything that's going on all kinds of background insight and details so go ahead and head on over there to our patreon page just for the price of a starbucks cup of coffee you get to keep that content the coffee you drink it's gone this content is yours forever it really does help us keep the lights on 
And by light, I mean uh, bandwidth and storage capacity, which is not free. So we would really appreciate um, your support over there and you get some great content in return. Also, go ahead and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Also through email if you're like me and you love email. Except when I get too many emails, then that really bothers me. So go ahead and follow us on there. Also, if you're listening through iTunes, please go ahead and give us a five-star review. We really do appreciate the five-star reviews that we're getting. That is so great. Thank you so much. And the reason we do ask you that is not to inflate our own ego. We're we're really going to try and not let that happen. But it does help other people find the podcast that do want to hear um us talk about movies or do want to engage in a community where we love talking about film we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so listeners we do want to thank you for joining us for men in black um we do have a i think our avengers endgame should should be up by the time men in black is up i think yeah i mean it better be it better be so go check that out we technically haven't recorded it yet, but this podcast, you'll be listening to it in the future. It's really cool how that works. So go ahead and check out our uh, Avengers Endgame, where we talk about all those spoilery, juicy details. The biggest film of all time. I'm looking forward to talking about it. And don't forget to catch up on um, our M. Night Shyamalan series, because we will be coming to back to that in three weeks. So you do have plenty of time to listen to all six Shyamalan reviews before we tackle like the last six or seven movies. So listeners, thank you for joining us. Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. We will see you next week with Men in Black 2.